Welcome back to another edition of Nacho Reverend Sports, episode 5. We're sorry for the belated episode release on our end. Man, we gotta tell you, it was a couple things that had happened, right? So, about a week ago, I don't know if you heard this, have you seen this, have you heard about this? But L.A. Bron, LeBron James, LeBron James... Took his talents to the Lakers. Want, want, want. 154 milli, four years. Gets that option for the fourth year. Blah, blah, blah. Cool. We were like, okay, let's take a second because July 4th is coming up. And in our mind over here at Nacho Average Sports, this is your host, Nacho, BT Dubs. Um, we were thinking, like, hey, Let's flip the script, the narrative on this whole Independence Day thing. Like, let's like coincide the idea of independence, especially in this country of ours, United States of America, um, and the independence of this concept of free agency, right? And everyone taking advantage of free agency, which athletes should be doing. Um, but let's harken back to the root, the history of where free agency came from, right? And so that's what this episode is going to be dedicated to. It's going to be dedicated to the man himself, Kurt Flood, who sacrificed his whole career and livelihood so that free agency could exist, essentially. Um, We're going to put the phone down right here. We're recording into the phone. Um, Last time, what happened was we recorded this episode initially last Thursday, And, you know, I think something happened where maybe I just wasn't talking into the phone clearly enough. Um, We're going to try to upgrade, step up our game, maybe get a little mic that connects to the phone because Anchor makes it really convenient and easy to record podcasts. We want to give a big shout out to Anchor um, for the distribution of our podcast to multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, a big shout out, Breaker, CastBox, PocketCast, and Radio Public. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's hot here in Brooklyn, all right? I just finally got the AC. I got the AC for the first time in like five years, all right? And it was free. But the whole thing is, I think, uh, you know, we're recording in the my room right now, just to let you know, maybe that's TMI, but the whole thing is, last week, uh, we recorded in the living room with the fan on, and you know, hey, I live on a busy street, bed always popping, you got buses, you got, you know, like fire trucks up and down the block, so people bumping new Beyonce, Drake, etc., but um, yeah, I think maybe we'll start recording in a more enclosed space so you can hear us more properly, more clearly. Uh, we're going to see if we can kind of, you know, run through this. Oh, we got a lot of items, right? Because we missed a week. So now we're, you know, on the bi-weekly schedule and we're going to try to change that. And, you know, starting next week, maybe just um, make up for some lost time and hit you with a couple episodes um, when we get to the Bay Area next week. Um, but yeah, so the last time we recorded this, it was like 41 minutes. So bear with us. Um, there's a lot of good information though coming at you if you're interested in all things sports, um, and the intersectionality of sports, um, as it relates to self-determination, which is a big theme in our other podcasts, the Uncle Nacho Show. Um, if you've listened to any of those episodes on SoundCloud, so we're going to bring that into the fold here. And we have our pillars, right? We have uh, nine pillars 
that we cover on this show. And the first being in the paint, basketball reference in the paint, and that stands for our current events section. Now, of course, the current events that are happening, World Cup, you had uh, at the time of last week, you know, the knockout round had started and there were some incredible games with incredible finishes. Um, You know, those who may not know, Nacho, my first name, first real name uh, is Jiro. Jiro is Japanese. Jiro means second son. Jiro, Jiro-san. And so my Japanese heritage, you know, I'm a little biased towards the rising sun. And, you know, I thought we had it. You know, I thought that we were going to, for the first time, I think in our World Cup history, break through the round of 16 and beat Belgium and get there. And we're up, you know, it's 0-0 at halftime. Now it's one nothing. Now it's 2 nothing, And we're going ecstatic. And all of a sudden, Belgium hits this header from the craziest angle. And when I tell you that I see the ball just drift perfectly over the goalie, over the Japan's goalie and into the net, and he like falls into the net so gracefully, but like it was so sad too. I was like, oh no, oh no. And then this other cat on Belgium came in with the like the sickest afro, and I got an afro, so I was like, nah, like I have the power of the fro. I know this guy's gonna like tie it up. Boom, another header tied. So now they go into extra time a little bit. It's like the 94th minute, and Belgium scores on this incredible breakaway which really it was created by the goalie the goalie had this beautiful outlet pass and now man they scored like a basically a the essential equivalent of a buzzer beater in soccer which is so rare like they scored the goal to win it with like 16 seconds left and i was just like oh oh it was heartbreaking and the next day you had Colombia. Colombia plays England, and Colombia like tied it up also one one with, you know, uh, extra time, a little bit extra time. So then they go into like overtime, and then they go to penalty kicks, and Colombia lost on penalty kicks. Now of course right away we already knew that Messi and Ronaldo, uh, Argentina and Portugal got bounced in the round of sixteen. So no superstars there. But the main reason we also wanted to bring up the World Cup, right, was because there's this uh, interesting um, uh, op-ed article in New York Times um, that the title of it is called, Did Russia Steal the World Cup? And basically, uh, and the subheader reads, long before anyone had heard of Christopher Steele or quote-unquote P-tape, there was an investigation into FIFA corruption. Now, Christopher Steele is this British spy who basically, you know, um, had been studying the moves of let's uh, of one Vladimir Putin, who is a lifelong hockey fan, uh, and how he had suddenly taken interest in soccer, right? And so this whole investigation into FIFA precedes uh, information that Mr. Steele then provided the FBI on tr- Trump and the Trump investigation. Which, right now, for the sake of it, we're going to leave that by the wayside. Um, You know, obviously, the president has inserted himself, has intersected his own presence into the world of sports. Uh, But we can get to that later. I'm not really going to, like, waste time on number 45 right now. He's out there doing his little bleached blonde thing. um, Fucking up people's lives. So, the main thing here, though, is about the World Cup. And how, essentially... England, right? England was set to be the host nation for this specific World Cup. Um, They hadn't hosted it since 1966, 
and essentially you know england created soccer what have you or is founded in the country um and so they were really stoked to have it and some 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 crazy exorbitant amount of money just to like um just to try to get the bid right was the british government shipped in 2.1 million euros of the bid uh and the bid itself was 17 million euros is the total cost just a bid to host um and they had international celebrities like prince william and david beckham and david cameron who was then the prime minister who promoted the effort right um moving forward in this article we definitely uh suggest reading this it came out before the world cup actually started um in case you're interested now moving along essentially you know the FBI and the CIA get involved like IRS pardon me and over like a 5 year investigation and quote working under the direction of several ambitious young prosecutors who secretly dug into international soccer's darkest corners flipping officials and mining millions of financial records to build a convincing case that the beautiful game had become little more than a source of vast profits for an international international organized crime syndicate continuing the investigation finally broke into the public view on May 27, 2015 with the sensational early morning arrest of seven soccer officials in Zurich the world's most popular game was shaken to its core multiple generations of fifa administrators were brought down accused of collectively taking hundreds of millions of dollars in bribes in a matter of days fifa's once untouchable president mr blatter announced he would resign da 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 um and so it goes into this whole thing right and fifa was cracked and now the most in, uh, interesting thing though is that you know there was one glaring hole quote that in what even the vanquished defense attorneys who had corrupt soccer officials as clients called a breathtakingly meticulous and exhaustive federal investigation and prosecution there was no mention of russia of course not quote court records from the case run into the thousands of pages and prosecutors spent weeks laying out every entangled intricacy of their digging in a 6-week criminal trial in federal court in Brooklyn Brooklyn late last year but Russia strangely seems to have been completely absent from any of it no mention of Russia in the paperwork in the work wow so so keep that in mind right because it's just something that we think is so interesting we also want to note that you know Russia hosted the Winter Olympics in 2014 and they used that as a backdrop to then invade Ukraine. So forgive us if there's you know we're a little conspiratorial on this show but the whole thing is what is the World Cup being used as a front for? Is my question. What what's going to happen next, you know? Um hopefully it's not all bad. We hope that um you know obviously there are reasons maybe why we're supposed to record this podcast uh a week or a week later than anticipated um several days later than it was recorded is that an interesting sub storyline almost occurred right russia was was uh, upsetting you know people they beat um who was it who did they beat in the round of 16 maybe denmark or some team like that um all i know is they faced croatia croatia got the best of them in penalty kicks but had russia advanced to the semifinals uh which obviously people would have thought was a fix i mean uh, them getting that far potentially 
was a fix. Oh no, Russia beats Spain. I'm sorry, and we're gonna get to that later. Spain's actually uh, not for a good reason in one of our next pillars down the road in this show, but um, essentially because they took the L, right? But by Russia losing to Croatia, we hope that you know Putin doesn't ever take anything out on Croatia. It may not happen immediately, but even like five years, I would say within like four years, right? That's how much time until the next World Cup. If Russia does anything weird to Croatia, you'll know because actually it'll be, ha- it, 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 call it conspiracy, but some political act may have been because of, you know, they took umbrage to taking a loss in a sport game, that of the World Cup soccer match. Um, but had Russia advanced, they would have faced England in the semifinal, and that would have been something that sports fans. Um, would have been quite intriguing based on the fact that England wanted to host this particular World Cup this year and lost to Russia after the whole FIFA scandal. So moving on from the World Cup uh, and staying within the pillar of in the paint and keeping it now uh, basketball related. And as we said, this is this episode five is kind of um, an independence and free agency special. So when we talk about free agency, right, we, uh, we, we had LeBron go to the Lakers, you know, free agency is still happening. But our, our Warriors, you know, we're Deb Nation fans. We've been Deb Nation fans since the We Believe movement. And even before that, we talk about Chalupas on the show. If you don't remember um, the days when win or lose, Warriors got 100 points and the fans would get Chalupas. Then I don't know if you're a real Deb Nation fan. Because nowadays, if Steph Curry hits like five threes in the finals, all of America gets a Chalupa. But the whole thing is that NBA free agency, man, the Warriors had the perfect response. LeBron goes to the Lakers, sure. A lot of people were like, oh my God. And now, what happens? We sign Boogie Cousins. Boogie Cousins. For what? Point... Like like a hundred grand more than we signed um, Swaggy P with the mid level exception last year we gave it a bug because uh, mind you the the guy's coming off of an Achilles tendon tear which is taking a lot of people's careers so you know but the timetable for him he's gonna be able to like relax a little bit and take his time uh, rehabbing probably won't join the team till late December early January anyway. But come playoff time is when we're going to need him. And it's so interesting because, you know, the Warriors were essentially looking to upgrade a position that they felt would diversify the team on offense even more because they've never had an offensive center the whole time they've been building this dynasty. We started with Andrew Bogut. We had, you know, Festus Azili was his backup. Uh, then you had Zaza and JaVale. But, you know, all those guys were more rim protectors. And not necessarily, and, and you know, good passers, but not necessarily um, known for their scoring acumen. So now you bring in Boogie Cousins to the mix, and it's like Bleacher Report said, he kind of told us this was coming because a couple years ago when he was teammates with Clay and Steph on the Olympic team, he said he was the third splash bro. So now we got another splash bro. I think uh, he put his scuffle with KD and Draymond behind him. And, you know, he wants to get his shot. He's never made the playoffs. And then he's hoping to cash in on that, uh, on that contract next year. And so, you know, we, good, we wish him good luck. We wish him good luck in, in, in the Bay Area with the Warriors, the last year that they're going to be playing in Oakland before they move to San Francisco. And 
last on that note is that um you know the the news the word on the street was that he left a two-year 40 million dollar deal on the table with new orleans so obviously he thinks he could get more after this year you know he took only the one-year five million dollar exception but we hope he does the best he can um but now the whole reason that we're talking about free agency and this idea of independence and flipping the script on it, if you will, and ha- creating this, having this podcast, this particular episode be an homage to Kurt Flood, who essentially, you know, not to keep plugging New York Times, this will be the last time on this episode that we do, but they have a really good retro report on Kurt Flood that we watched and you know, Kurt Flood himself actually um, was raised in Oakland, California. He played outfield at McClyman's High School with none other than Hall of Famer Frank Robinson and also Veda Pinson, who played in the major leagues. So that was a hell of a outfield in high school, and those guys all went on to the majors. But Kurt Flood, you know, he, he helped the St. Louis Cardinals to three World Series in six years during the 60s. At the time of his trade... He was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. At the time, he was the longest tenured player on the team, and he was a three-time All-Star and also a fan favorite. Now, he was traded to Philly, and Philly was known for being quite hostile toward black players. And Flood didn't want to move his family there or leave any of his business interests behind, which I think is, you know, within his right. Um, and unfortunately, the the timing of it may be. In in the in him demanding a raise was not great in this in contrast to the fact that he made a faulty play in the 1968 World Series Game Seven, and essentially the Cardinals lost that game and lost the World Series two to Detroit Tigers because Flood had a ball misplayed a ball that went over his head, scoring two runs uh, in a crucial moment, and later that summer he demanded a raise, so. In response, I guess the team took umbrage to that. They sent him to Philly. Um, and so Kerflood was like, well, hold on a minute. You know, he, he chose to resist. And specifically what he chose to resist, what, what was known as Major League Baseball's Reserve Clause. Now, the Reserve Clause dates back to, you know, early 1900s. Uh, when the game was really being professionalized and it gave owners complete control of players. You know, the players were paid whatever the owner thought they were worth and they could be traded whenever the owner decided. So really the fate of the player and his career was in the owner's hands, right? And Judy Pace Flood, who's Kurt Kurt Flood's widow, um, said on his thought process in this retro report um, that his process you know, toward the reserve clause was, quote, that this is not my America, right? He was of the mind that as players, we have been subsidizing the owners, that we just can't go out and find out what am I really valued at? What do I need to be paid if I'm getting seven consecutive gold gloves, right? And so essentially, Kurt Flood was advocating for civil rights in sports, as well as labor rights, Right, And you had different owners at the time who were just all up in arms. Even the most progressive among them at the time, Charles A. Finley, who was the owner of the Oakland Athletics, who was known for a lot of innovative contributions to the game, um, 
he was quoted as saying that what Kurt Flood was doing was, you know, advocating for free agency was, quote, the worst thing to happen to baseball. So let's not forget how let's not forget how insidious, insidious forgive my some of my pronunciations, all the though pronunciations on this show. Pronunciations. The whole thing is, you know, you know, racism is insidious and permeates our society and of course all professional sports. Now, um, even amongst the most liberal minded. Now, when Kurt Flood was advocating for this, he wrote a letter to then MLB Commissioner Bowie Kahn. Kun. Not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. Bowie K U H N. Um and in the letter, uh, there's a quote that basically says, you know, on behalf of Kurt Flood, on behalf of himself, uh, that after 12 years in the major leagues, that, quote, I do not feel that I am a piece of property to be bought and sold irrespective of my wishes. Now, essentially what he was doing was that the he was arguing, you know, once he took, it became a lawsuit, Kurt Flood versus Kuhn became a lawsuit. Uh, and he was arguing that the reserve clause violated the 13th Amendment, which advocates against slavery and indentured servitude, right? And when he was interviewed by the press, Kurt Flood said, all I really want out of this is to give every ball player a chance to be a human being and to take advantage of the fact that we live in a free and democratic society. Now run that back, because I did this in the in the previous episode, right? This is kind of like, I already had one rehearsal, so I'm kind of just like, doing this whole episode over again Um, not verbatim um, hopefully with a little more clarity but we ran back that quote the last time so we're gonna do it here and let's just replace the term ball player with employee right and think about employees and the employee employer relationship in this country and i'm gonna read back the quote with that substitution which is all i really want out of this is to give every employee a chance to be a human being and to take advantage of the fact that we live in a free and democratic society end quote because is that not what america is about truly on paper without the hypocrisy for what it stands for point blank you know in this idea of independence that yes we are should all be acknowledged as human beings and that by being acknowledged as human beings, we can all take advantage of the freedom that the supposed freedom within this, you know, alleged democratic society. So, you know, I believe Kurt Flood's rhetoric was super on point, you know, um, not just for baseball, but for the country at large. And mind you, he's doing this in the late 60s, which was a very turbulent time politically. But he's doing it at the same time where it coincides with the civil rights movement. It coincides with the Black Panther Party creating a free breakfast program, which is then adopted by the country after they dismantled the Black Panther Party. But the Black Panther Party came out of Oakland, California, where Kurt Flood was raised, right? So all this is happening in in time, you know, in cohesion uh, with each other. Even the, you know, famed sports caster Howard Cosell who had a relationship with Muhammad Ali again even he said some questionable things when interviewing Kurt Flood Uh, he wasn't the only one to say it but at the time Kurt Flood was already earning $90,000 1968 not bad for a ball player you could say and so the rhetoric 
that Cosell and other media alike were, were, you know, of the mind that what Kurt Flood was making wasn't, quote, a slave wage. Those ain't slave wages, Kurt. Now, Kurt Flood had the perfect response. What he said, Kurt Flood says, a well-paid slave is nonetheless a slave. Point taken. Run that quote back. A well-paid slave is nonetheless a slave. So, now the lawsuit, you know, gets advanced. At the time, um, Kurt Flood was lucky enough to be backed by the newly formed Players Union, right? And the only problem, though, really, in terms of a lack of solidarity was from active players. Not even his teammates came to support him at the trial hearings in New York. When they flew in to play the Mets, the St. Louis Cardinals were in town to play the Mets. At the same time as his hearing, none of his teammates came to show up. A few retired players came to his defense, and the most prominent of which was Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, who integrated baseball. The first black man to play in professional major leagues um, that wasn't the Negro Leagues, right? So Jackie Robinson had this, you know, very, you know, distinguished air about him. He testified at one of the trial hearings. And that's a testament to Jackie, you know, and his legacy. But no superstars of that era ever showed face. And that's what I think Kurt Flood, that's what hurt him the most um, in terms of the media clips and the interviews that we've seen is that he thinks or he thought and I can't say that he w- was wrong that if any of the other stars in the major leagues at that time had also voiced their frustration and voiced any type of solidarity with Kurt that maybe it would have put w- way more pressure on the owners right but no Pete Rose no Willie Mays no Tom Seaver the list goes on nobody backed up my man Kurt Flood And even though this case went to the Supreme Court, it ultimately lost. Now you move three years later, and in the major leagues, there were two white players, Andy Messersmith and Dave Minali, who essentially won an arbitration case that found that owners could no longer renew player contracts in perpetuity. And that opened free agency to all veteran major leaguers. And once that happened, eventually opened the floodgates to free agency at large. But by that time, Kurt Flood had been blackballed, blacklisted from the from the game. Um, he had, I think, left the country. He was working at a bar. His his life took you know a, a downturn until he recuperated. Um, but Kurt Flood sacrificed his whole career. For what people are getting paid millions of dollars now. You know, it's all due respect. LeBron, get your money. You know what I mean? Get your money. But even guys, let's go back 10, 15 years. Alex Rodriguez in the major leagues. Let's stick with baseball. All these guys coming out of the steroid era, making all this money. Not a penny has gone to, you know, what? What, what, I, what I think should have should be, should have existed, should be still be created is a Kurt Flood fund. There should be a Kurt Flood fund, Kurt Flood fund for young ball players who have ambitions outside of baseball, right? Like if a penny of each con- million dollar contract from all these players went to a Kurt Flood foundation 
for whatever that foundation thought was right with their mission, they'd have a good chunk of change to work with to allocate and to spend on young people. Now, it's not saying that Major League Baseball or these other professional organizations don't do uh, good things in the community or spend good money in the community, but Kurt Flood himself is forgotten. He should be remembered at all times. Any contract is signed via free agency in any sport should be, you know, Kurt Flood, there should be a picture of him in offices all around um, professional sports organizations. Now, of course, the irony is that the major leagues adopted Article 19, which is also known as the Kurt Flood Rule, which allows players to veto trades after spending 10 years in the league and including five years with their current team. Going back to that point in time, around late 60s, 69, and early 70s, three months after Kurt Flood filed his lawsuit in 1970, three months, Oscar Robertson, famed basketball player, Mr. Triple-Double himself, who a lot of people compare uh, LeBron James' game to in terms of well-roundedness, In 1970, Oscar Robertson and 13 other NBA players, including John Havlicek of the Celtics, Bill Bradley of the Knicks, and Wes Unseld of the then-Washington Bullets, sued to abolish the reserve clause in the NBA. And this was following an earlier attempt failed by none other than Rick Barry of the San Francisco Warriors. Fast forward six years, 1976, and a settlement was reached for free agency in in the National Basketball Association. Now, we're going to hopefully follow up on Kurt Flood. We may, you know, the, the spirit of Kurt Flood lives in every, every episode of this podcast moving forward, even if we don't mention him by name. Um, but we are going to watch an HBO special at some point called The Curious Case of Kurt Flood. We welcome you to watch it, and uh, maybe we can have some discourse on it. Um, well, we'll hope to follow up on it again uh, in the next episode. And just never forget Kurt Flood. If you do me a favor and you listen to this show and the only thing you get out of the show is one thing, don't forget who Kurt Flood was. He paved the way. He paved the way for everybody making all this money right now. So that was actually um, the acronym for that pillar is LAMJ. <laughs> but that is our... Um, Lost Art of the Mid-Range Jumper, which is another basketball reference. And that was our historical section of this podcast. Um, And, you know, the idea of profiling uh, in the most positive sense, our man Kurt Flood, is that we may make that a uh, a consistent thing, is profiling specific athletes who have made impact on and off the field. So look forward to that moving forward in future episodes. Um, Real fast, we realized that a couple weeks ago we missed one of our pillars, and that pillar was Beyond the Arc, which is another basketball reference when we think about three-point shooting. And someone who always comes to mind for Beyond the Arc is our man Clay Thompson. And we're only going to make a quick reference to our China Clay, one of his many alter egos. Um, China Clay is out there in China trying to be the Michael Jordan of Anta uh, sneakers in China. But he got into a little scuffle playing some street ball 
and then he walked off the court and you know i'm just you know kind of worried man like clay bro you're out there i hope you got some security but like don't be turning up on some so you don't know what's happening in china there's a lot going on out there we just hope that we just hope that china clay comes back to the bay safe and sound uh we love your ambition to be the michael jordan of china but just like chill um so moving forward uh on a somber note now and we have uh this 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 pillar is gonna have two parts so that we follow up the the sombering news um which at this point is a, a little bit not old news but still um still relevant uh and then we hope to follow it up with a lighter note um but the news that you know happened actually a couple of weeks ago, and 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 both of these stories were released on the same day. One being that Janoris Jenkins of the New York Giants, quarterback, uh, National Football League, that you know obviously he was out at training camp in Miami, but in his home in Fairlawn, New Jersey, um, there was a body found of one Roosevelt Renee, who was a close friend of Janoris Jenkins who was living at his home. He's a producer, also known as Trips Beats. And the suspect of who killed him was Janoris Jenkins' brother, William Jenkins, who was arrested on a parole violation in Ontario County, New York. And it's just a very sad story. So we want to give our heartfelt condolences to um, the family of... Uh, Roosevelt Renee, and at the same time, the same day, you know, there was a body found at that home, and then a body found at the stadium where the Atlanta Braves baseball team play baseball. Uh, they have a new stadium, and um, the man was a Minnesota inventor whose body was found in a beer cooler on a Tuesday at Georgia's Sun Trust Park, and he was installing some of his new technology. A co-worker had found um, the body of 48-year-old Todd Keeling of White Bear Lake just before the Braves took on the Cincinnati Reds on a Tuesday afternoon. And apparently Keeling was working overnight to install his creation known as the Quick Draw Faucet, which cuts the amount of time it takes to pour beer. And so very, you know, sad news on that front. This was June 28th. Both these stories uh, were released. The news of which, you know, you know, we we never take life for granted on this show. Having the privilege to to talk shit about sports, you know, um, we try to you know bring a holistic view to what sports can mean on so many different levels. You know, the impact of sports um, in our society, you know, and death and grief come along with that. Um, So, again, our condolences to those families of their lost ones um, and their loved ones. And within this pillar of out of left field, a baseball reference, we actually are going to mention a outfielder. And we hope that, you know, in contrast, we hold the we hold the gravity of grief with the lightness of life. And um, if you did not know, you're about to know that since about 2011, 
and this goes until 2035, July 1st, for all you Mets fans out there, is known as Bobby Bonilla Day. Now, if you don't know Bobby Bonilla, we're going to give you a little synopsis on my main man's Boricua from the Bronx. So you know he probably grew up a Yankee fan anyway. Um, But in 1991, he signed a five-year, $29 million contract with the New York Mets. He eventually got traded to Baltimore, but he later rejoined the Mets at the time when they hired Bobby Valentine to manage. Eventually, Bobby Valentine and Bobby Bonilla, they don't get along. Bonillo is one of the players caught in the in the uh, clubhouse playing cards with Ricky Henderson during a playoff game on some nonchalant, I don't give a fuck about the team shit. And so the Mets, the Mets wanted to buy out his contract, right? And they wanted to do it over the long haul, not up front, so they could allocate some of the money elsewhere in the immediate future. This was around 99, 2000. Um... And however, you know, Bonilla was, you know, and his representation uh, agreed to defer money. And in doing so, they agreed to receive an interest rate on the money he was owed of $5.9 million. Now, over 25 years, that's how 5.9 turns into $29.8 million. So from 2011 to 2035, as mentioned earlier, Bonilla gets roughly $30 million from the New York Mets. Because they wanted to play him over the long haul. And so every July 1st, he gets an installment of over a million dollars. Shout out to my main man, Bobby Bonilla. Um, That's the long con in sports if I ever heard of one. He's also apparently still getting money from the Baltimore Orioles in a... You know, not with the same amount of money, but because he also deferred uh, with them. So... um, now, you have to understand, why did the Mets do this? There's a couple of factors. At the time, Mets management and ownership had deep connections to Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, played by Robert De Niro in the HBO special, also featuring my main man, Adam Butterfield. Shout out to the Butters. Adam Butterfield is a, a longtime friend. We grew up together going to A's games. His dad would take us to games. But if you ever see the HBO special on Bernie Madoff, played by Robert De Niro, and you see the kid who's like talking to De Niro about what he wants to eat at this wedding, you got to give it to Adam, man. He must have some deep connections with these producers because, look, I love you, Adam. You're not a bad actor, but I don't know if he deserved that long of a FaceTime. He was out. He was talking about. You know, do you sending back this order and that order and Robert De Niro and Bob this and, you know, Bernie this. Anyway, okay, enough of that tangent. Um, but you have to understand that the Mets, you know, their connection to the actual man himself, Bernie Madoff, was a primary factor in how they thought that their interests were protected because he was guaranteeing interest rates in their, fair, in their favor, just like he was guaranteeing interest rates for everybody else, right? So they were like, well, we can afford to give Bobby Bonilla one player uh, interest rates on this, you know, contract because our interest rates are guaranteed on all these other fronts. Psych, not, fuck out of here. Anyway, uh, Bobby Bonilla doing his damn thing. And now the Mets, um, what happened was that they did use the money that they were able to, you know, allocate uh, or, or, or save rather to allocate elsewhere on 
uh, Mike Hampton, who at the time was an all-star pitcher from the Colorado Rockies. He becomes the ace of the staff when the Mets go to the World Series, ultimately losing to the Yankees. And then the following year, they trade uh, Mike Hampton, I believe, to the Reds. And they get a draft pick that turns into David Wright. So, I don't know. Maybe it was worth it to the Mets, you know, to go the way that they did. Nevertheless, Bobby Bonilla is so good in that paper boy. All about that paper boy. Um, moving on, like we said, we were going to do uh, in our next pillar, which is the Mendoza line baseball reference when you're hitting below average here. Who's disappointing in sports? Dun dun dun! dun. Drum roll, please. Ooh. España, España, you you really disappointed, you know. And now I get it, you know. Spain, as a world class soccer team, kind of came onto the scene ten years ago, um, you know, in 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 the most recent memory of soccer history. Uh, they won the Euro Cup, then they win the World Cup in 2010. So this this squad of Iniesta and Pique and Ramos, Sergio Ramos, this might be the last time they're all together on the Spain national team. But they lost to Russia, man. And I, it's hard not to think, like, did they take the L? Like, how psychologically, like, fragile do you think any team is paying Russia in Russia, knowing the consequences, man? Like... Croatia beat Russia, but do you think maybe part of them regrets it? Like, I don't know. Nevertheless, Spain took the L. Disappointing. They're going to take that pillar for this episode. Um, And we'll see how they bounce back in four years. Definitely going to have a whole new squad in the next World Cup. Um, Our next pillar, Hail Mary. Who's desperate in sports? Well, Russia was pretty desperate. I mean, Putin, you know, going back to the top of the episode, was hosting this for a reason. And, you know, they got as far as they could. And, you know, I think maybe now, not for nothing, their soccer team is relevant. Uh, But we'll see if Russia qualifies for the next one, right? I think that's, like, the main thing in regards to, like, the actual sport. Uh, Maybe Putin got everything he wanted now, you know? It, It doesn't matter now. Russia could be terrible at soccer forever and it doesn't matter because he already got the world cup and russia almost made the semi-final and lost in dramatic fashion so maybe he got what he wanted um we're gonna this is a double whammy here who else is desperate and desperate in sports um at the time you know before they got their man you know the lakers are desperate the los angeles lakers were desperate to to get that brand back man to have that that shine um in in laker in in showtime and um you know the lake show what have you with magic johnson at the helm and so they get their man they got lebron lebron james lbj but very odd they also brought like a few of his enemies on board (laughs) or former enemies maybe they can all get along now we shall see um but they brought born ready from coney island zone brooklyn zone uh lance stevenson who is best known for blowing in LeBron's ear during all those battles, the Indiana Pacers, Indiana Pacers, and when LeBron was on the Miami Heat, and all those memes that have since occurred uh, from Lance Stevenson's antics. Um, Him, as well as Rajon Rondo. Like, yo, Rajon Rondo never did not like LeBron, especially when the Celtics and Heat were going at it for all those years. And the Celtics and Cavs, the Celtics bounced LeBron so many times he had to leave and go to Miami. 
Um, and then, but you know, Rondo, there's there's pictures on the internet of him and Boston fans in the in the green shirt that says LeBron's a bitch. Like, yo, like that that's just facts. You know, you can't really erase that memory. Um, so we'll see how Rayshon Rondo and Lance Stevenson, who by the way can't none of those guys can shoot. You know, like, yeah, they're playmakers, but they can't shoot. So it's also kind of curious, like. I think that was also why the Warriors signing a Boogie Cousins was such a great response because it looked like for a second the Lakers were just trying to get guys to beat up the Warriors, man. But now with Boogie and Draymond, like we have our own muscle. But Steph and Clay as guards got to watch their backs playing the Lakers because Rondo and Lance Stevenson are just going to be out here trying to like, you know, Nancy Kerrigan, some guys. So just, you know, let's 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 keep our third eye open. Dub Nation. Um our hole in one who is nailing it in sports and you know the news at this point is a little late um we hope that the topics on this episode aren't too stale for the time we're releasing it and we really you know thank you for sticking with us we know we're going actually a little bit over time more than the last episode um that was recorded that ultimately wasn't released but we hope that you appreciate the delivery of this one our hole in one we're going to give it to Paul George you know i think Paul George for everything that Oklahoma City Thunder fans uh, were put through by Kevin Durant, um, he showed his he showed his loyalty. Even though a lot of people thought he was going to go to the Lakers because he's from Los Angeles, um, but he had a good point. You know, he said I was available to get traded for last year when he was a Pacer, and Oklahoma was the team that came and got me. The Lakers didn't come and get me, so he showed loyalty to them. He's going to continue to team up with Russell Westbrook. Uh, the team obviously, you know, Mello read up on his contract, but they want to facilitate his contract elsewhere. Maybe Mello lands with his friend LeBron in LA is yet to be seen. Then, you know, once and for all, Mello's wife Lala can be in Lala and la 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 can happen. And um, that's pretty much, you know, we're wrapping up on this episode. Um, our hat trick, our last little pillar is uh, three three things, three noteworthy things. The knockout round in the World Cup is over, so we look forward to the semifinals on Tuesday and Wednesday. We look forward to what else is happening in free agency. And a big shout-out to the American League West, the toughest division in baseball. Tonight starts a four-game series. Watch out for those Oakland A's. We're 10, game ag- 10 games above 500, baby. 50 and 40. Who saw that coming? And now we got a four-game set in Houston with the defending champs. Woo, let's go. We're going to take on all four out of their five, the best starters. Let's go. So that should be interesting. The A's are going to have a tough road ahead, but let's hope that they can close out the first half strong before the All-Star break. We hope to uh, maybe invade uh, Giant Stadium when they play San Francisco next weekend in the Bay. We'll be out there. Um, And, you know, our goals, more results from the world of sports. We might try to throw as many as three episodes at you next week uh, because you deserve it for your loyalty. So, yeah, episode six, maybe a Dub Nation special, maybe an interview with the one and only Rally Lamb, and you'll find out more about that um, as we move along here on Nacho Average Sports. This is your host, Nacho. We really appreciate you for listening and tuning in. All the best to you and yours, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.